everybody. It's Miss Oklahoma USA 2019 Triana Brown, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Kim Kialda. Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen, because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today is a former Division I track and field heptathlete and Oklahoma State University student athlete with a degree in human development and family sciences with a focus in psychology and a minor in sociology. She made history as the first woman to hold titles in two major pageant systems back-to-back in Oklahoma. She was Miss Oklahoma America 2017 and 2018 and Miss Oklahoma USA 2019, And this past spring, you may have seen her on Fox when she took second runner-up at Miss USA. In just one year, she used her title to travel in Oklahoma over 120,000 miles by car. That's a tremendous amount of driving, by the way. To speak on her nonprofit called Bridge the Divide, Inc. She dedicates her time visiting schools, universities, motivational speaking, meeting with tribal nations, partnering with the Chickasaw Nation, Boys and Girls Club of America Native Services, and Nike N7 discussing the importance of nurturing cultural compassion and celebrating cultural differences in order to eliminate cultural divisiveness. She's a stud, folks. Triana Brown, awesome to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, I definitely want to talk about uh, the back-to-back titles and all that kind of stuff, but I guess before we get into anything, how did you get into pageantry? Because you sound like quite an athlete. Yes. So, I can easily say that I did not ever think that I would do pageants because my mind was set on the Olympics. But oh, really? Unfortunately, yes, yes. So I even like, everything's changed now, but I had pastors at one point that were like manifesting it. So it'd be like <laughs> track Olympics 2020, like <laughs> the craziest passage you could think of, but everything was dedicated to the Olympics one day. But unfortunately, my mom got laid off while I was in college. So I had achieved that D1 status, what a lot of athletes dream of other than going into the professional career. And I had to figure out how to pay for school. And as I was walking the campus, I saw this ad for the Miss Oklahoma State University pageant and that the woman who won would get $1,200 towards her tuition. And after I had received a call saying that I had an outstanding balance that um, would basically keep me from returning the next semester. I called my mom and I told her I was going to do a pageant. <laughs> and, uh, it's like Miss America, service I, your debt. Yes, yes, exactly. And I ended up getting first runner up that year. So I got about $600 towards my tuition. And that actually helped my mother a ton. I went on with my track career the rest of that year. And then we were in the same position because my mother still couldn't find a job. And that year I won and went into the pageant system. I went all the way to Miss Oklahoma that year. <laughs> so and it's like I feel like I hear this story a lot where it's uh, somebody who either had no intention of competing in a pageant or in your case, 
um, a, a high-level athlete who, you know, had no intention of pageantry whatsoever, but when you stepped on the stage, there was just something about you that seemed to connect. Um, as a performer and an athlete, what were the things that seemed to come natural to you when you stepped on a pageant stage? Well, I will say that I am a proud theater geek. So when I was growing up, I was in every single performance that was holding an audition. I would audition for basically. So growing up, I can remember like I was in uh, anything that would allow us to sing. I was in something called the Pied Pipers. So I got the lead in that one. I did talent shows. Um, so I always had this natural like inkling towards being on stage. I loved, um, I was in hairspray at one point when I got into high school. So there's always <laughs> this little part of me that loved being on stage, but I was still this athlete. So I like to joke that I, I, it feels like I was in high school musical a little bit. Like I was in track, but I also loved to sing and dance. Um, but I never really thought of pageants as being the same thing. I grew up watching them, but that was about it. I never thought that an athlete could really be on the stage like that. And it, was, it wasn't really until I was kind of put in a position of like survival that I went, hmm, let me get out of my comfort zone. It might be something like being in a theater production. Let me just try it out. And I ended up falling in love with it on stage. It was right. an incredible experience. And I think for Miss America contestants, that's always, you know, one of the big draws is the scholarship money, you know, and it's always, you know, they call themselves a scholarship pageant. I've talked about that with, uh, you know, past Miss Americas who've come on the show. Um, and even, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, a, a familiar one would be Laura Rutledge, who's on ESPN. She's the uh, sideline reporter, mm-hmm. but also a host there. She became Miss Florida because people said you should do it. She said, I have no interest. And when she found out she could win money, she was like, OK, maybe I actually will do it. So it sounds like you kind of fell into mm-hmm. that you know, uh, a pot of people who kind of did it because you needed the money and turns out that you were actually really good at it. You're already a a beautiful person. So it just kind of fell in. So talk about competing the year that you won Miss Oklahoma America and kind of what that experience was like. Oh, wow. Um, I think back on that and there were so many tears that were shed. (laughs) It was completely different than track and field. I was very tough in track. I, I was competitive, humble, but, you know, I put in the work and I was used to putting in the work like that. When it comes to pageants, there is this, uh, this, I have so much, I'll just say I have so much respect for women in pageants. I learned that so very quickly. You have to be able to be able to really do anything in the spur of a moment. And I had no idea what I was signing myself up for. It's just that I knew that I needed scholarship money. And when I won Miss Oklahoma City, I was able to get about $2,000 worth of scholarship money. And then from there, I was with an amazing board of people who knew what they were doing. And basically, what they were like, okay, if you really want to see Miss Oklahoma, if you trust us, we'll put you through our own little Miss Oklahoma boot camp. It's going to be tough. You're going to get critiqued, but you're going to grow. And you're going to be the best version of yourself that you've ever been before. And I agreed to it. And yeah, it was really tough. I was doing mock interviews every single day for about two months straight. I was working out three times a day. I was watching the news four hours total on a day. So I'd split it up in between things and then go straight into a mock interview. I was learning how to do hair and makeup and being able to discuss controversial topics without getting controversial in my own ways, you know, um, it was a very, very tough year, but it was really rewarding in the end because I was able to get to Miss Oklahoma and get over $30,000 worth of scholarship money 
towards my student loans. And when you have a, a guardian who is out of work, you're the one that's going to have to be able to take care of it. And at the same time, I wanted to be able to take care of my mother too. So I had a few things pushing me, but there were many, many nights where I called her on FaceTime and were cr- was crying. I was pushed to my max, but in the same time, I was growing, and I'm so glad that I did it. It was it was hard in the moment, but it was completely worth it. And then how about competing at Miss America? Oh, wow. I loved it. Okay, I find that I'm, I like thrive off of being on stage and um, actually found that I love being challenged. So we were exhausted, of course. But my goodness, waking up every morning to get ready to go rehearse or do some type of production to prepare for the live casting, I loved it. Of course, I was very sad with the outcome um, because, you know, everybody who goes wants to win. But if I could do it again, I would. It was absolutely amazing. Well, and it sounds like you did want to do it again because then... You decide, I'm going to cross over and go to USA. So tell me about the decision to do that. Yes. So when I say that doing Miss Oklahoma going into Miss America was uh, for survival, I felt like that year was really based off of fighting to survive. And I didn't get to enjoy it as much as I could have because I needed to be able to pay for school. I needed to be able to take care of my family. And to get involved in pageant quickly and to get a title that quickly and then you're done. It's like a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, I fell in love with pageants and I wanted to do it again. So I saw that Miss Oklahoma USA was going to happen. I had no idea if I would win or not because I knew it was a completely different system, but I just wanted to enjoy being in the pageant and not have anything really holding me down or hovering over me. And it ended up being that I won Miss Oklahoma USA, but I really did it because I wanted to enjoy it. I really just wanted to enjoy it because it was a remarkable year. But um, when you have something hovering over you like that, it can kind of take away from the miraculous year that you have. Well, look, to win both state pageants in Oklahoma, which is a I would consider Oklahoma a legacy state. It's a very strong state. There's always a lot of great girls that come out of there. Olivia Jordan's just one of the ones off the top of my mind that I can think of. But to, to pull off the back-to-back, which I don't think it had probably ever been done before, correct? Right. Uh, it, it's been done before, but there were years apart. So I'm the first one to do it within the same year. Well, that's incredible. And I can tell you, just going, uh, being at Miss USA, I was in dress rehearsal. Um, I remember because, you know, Chesley was my girl, you know, and and you walked Mm -hmm. up on the stage and I'm like, boy, oh boy, two division one athletes, two (laughs) super studs. I'm like, you know, and you could tell who was starting to kind of rise through the ranks and who had that real, real shot at, at, you know, possibly winning. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when you guys both got in the top three, I'm like, oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> this is like a heavyweight fight, man. Country. It's just just boom, boom, boom. So talk about the experience that night of going through, getting to the top three, answering tough questions. I mean, the whole deal and the thing that everybody wants to know. Well, see, going into it, I know a lot of people know I didn't make the finals at Miss America. And so when it came down to Miss USA, my goal, my first goal was to not only enjoy the process, but it was to make top 15. I really wanted to make top 15 so I could just do better. I did at Miss America. So when that goal was met and I made it into top 15, that I was overjoyed with that. Um, of course, I wanted to keep going, but to meet that first goal was something that had not only myself, but my family really excited. Um, my mother and I had driven from Dallas to Oklahoma to Nevada, and she had done it three times by that point. So 
we made it when we, whenever I said, mom, we made it, it was true because we had gone through this whole journey just to get there. And I was just really happy that I could make my family proud by making it to top 15, make myself proud by making it to top 15. And then from that point, it was, Chesley and I joked about it. We took this heptathlete because we were both heptathletes. We took this mentality that you have whenever you're doing a heptathlon. Um, you do one thing and then you just, you relax, whether it went well or not, and then you go to the next. And so when we got into top 15, I was like, okay, next is top 10. You do what you got to do. So getting on stage, doing swimsuit, I remembered every moment that I've been shy just to go to a swimming pool and to wear a swimsuit. But here I was on the Miss USA stage. I was having the time of my life. If you rewatch it, you can tell that I'm literally just like having the best time of my <laughs> life. Like, wow. <laughs> It was it was amazing, and not only that, my dad was there, and my dad is. I didn't get to really develop a relationship with him until I was about sixteen. So for him to be there, my entire family was there. So I was just like, I'm in a swimsuit. I know my dad is hating this right now because I'm in a swimsuit. <laughs> my mom is here. We're having the best time, and I really was. And so when we did top ten. Um, I was nervous. I can easily say I was nervous, but I was very present, which is something that um, I, I wanted to make sure I remained in, in a state, in that state, I guess you could say. So when they called us into top five, I had told my mom, I said, you know, if there's, if there's anything after top 15, I really want to get to the point where I'm talking on stage. Interview is my favorite portion of the competition. And I really wanted to get to show my depth and substance because anybody can be pretty, you know, mm -hmm. um, we, there's 51 beautiful women on that stage, but I wanted to be more than just a beautiful woman on that stage. I wanted to show my heart. I wanted to show the things that I do on a daily, the active service that I'm extremely passionate about, not only in my state, but across the nation. And I wanted to get to that moment. So when they called me in the top five, I was like, yes oh my gosh but yes <laughs> but I was very happy with that and to get into top three that's when I was like oh my gosh <laughs> I could win whoa and yeah and um I was really overjoyed to see Chesley up there too because we we were con people were confusing us the entire time we were there especially when she showed up with her hair straight I went Chesley I could people see that. already confuse us <laughs> I could see I was, that. They already confused us, girlfriend. Why would you wear your hair straight? So they would tag us in wrong accounts, and we, we both love cookie cake, so we were connected with the whole cookie cake stuff, and um, we had had dinner with each other a couple of the nights while we were there, too. So when we were walking up stage together, we hugged each other. We were like, two heptathletes up here. Oh, my gosh. And then, of course, I love Allie. So it was just an honor to be up there with them, too, and, and to get to share the stage with them, Um during the final three, it was, it was, I'm really just happy that I was very present. I can remember every single moment and every thought. Well, I've had both of them on. Um, we've talked about these yeah. very <laughs> specific scenario in which, you know, you get to that top three. What was the pressure like for you? I can honestly say that I was not nervous at that point because there was no way of getting out of it anyway. I had a goal that I wanted to meet. And then I had a second goal, which was to get to on stage question. So when I got up there, I was like, okay, this is what you asked for. Let's do it. I just remember standing there going, just answer with your heart and be relatable. And that was just my focus is I just wanted to be up there and just show my heart more than anything. I didn't want to come off as anybody else. I wanted to just truly be Triana Brown, the way people know me and just be able to leave the competition, whether I won or not, 
happy with what I left on the stage. Well, you did awesome, as you well know. Thank you. You have an incredibly unique perspective in that you literally competed in both national pageants and both systems mm-hmm. in the last two years. Yeah. And so you know exactly what it's like to be in both. Um, I'm not going to sit here and make you choose which one you like better because I don't, I don't want to put you, I don't want <laughs> to put you in that no. position. But I would like to know uh, what you feel like the real differences are in this day and age. As you know, there's a lot of girls who listen who are like, I, you know, I want to compete. But I don't know which one I want to compete in. So maybe kind of give a. Uh, Give some scenarios in each, you know, of what it's like to compete in America versus USA. Well, for the America system, I did truly love my experience there. I really did. I felt like I was becoming the woman that I am now when I went through that system. So I was able to discuss controversial topics. I was trained to be able to direct a conversation within the interview so that I could talk about the things that I wanted to talk about and make sure that they knew about me, which actually helped me at Miss USA. The woman that I am today has definitely been contributed from Miss America. But Miss USA, I would say I was able to really truly be Triana Brown on that stage. It was so you okay felt like you I fit had. USA better. Yes, I did. I felt like I could walk, for example, in swimsuit with my hips. You know, I, I'm a naturally curvy girl. Little it's swagger. okay if I got some hips. I can have a little swag in my walk whenever I do swimsuit. So it's okay if I can show myself a little more like that, you know, whereas for swimsuit, when I got to compete, I was the last group to do swimsuit at Miss America. Um, I kind of had to hold back a little bit and be a woman that I'm okay with being, but I know that I am not only sweet, but I can be a little spicy too, Um, but couldn't necessarily show as much spice compared to when I was at Miss USA. So I really felt like I was truly myself at Miss USA, which may have been why I did better at Miss USA than I did at Miss America. Very well could be. You never know. Uh, so now that you have uh, competed in both, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of where's you can go. I mean, you could still obviously compete in other systems. Are you are you done? Are you hanging up the heels? I Well, I'm 27 right now, so I don't have much time to pick um, if I were to do another one. I would love to because, like I said, to do it and then get your title, your state title that quickly, it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I still have this love for pageants. But at the same time, my age is going to force me out. <laughs> so That's true. That's true. I, yeah. So I, I'll definitely always love pageants. If I could do them again, I would. But unfortunately, I'm getting too old. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hey, look, you said something earlier that I, I just I kind of caught on to. I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, being a Division One athlete, somebody who obviously has to stay in great shape all the time, you mentioned that, you know, for you going to a swimming pool in a swimsuit was – challenging. And, you know, mm-hmm. as I look at, you know, bodies like yours and Chesley's and I go, why the hell would you be embarrassed about getting in a swimsuit? You know, when you guys have muscle and you guys take care of yourselves, but give me the background of that. Cause I, I'm sure a lot of girls struggle with it the same way you do. Yeah, definitely. Um, growing up and having this athletic ability, you do have a lot more muscle tone compared to other girls who are around you. So I was like six or seven with a six pack, a defined six pack at that and muscles. I was little, like we have pictures of me as a baby and I was just jacked. Both of my parents, my dad (laughs) held the Olympic torch and my mom didn't go to the Olympics because she ended up having me. So, I mean, both of my parents are star athletes and I definitely came out looking like one. Like people were like, wow, she is probably going to be in sport. And it's true. So I did not look like my friends. I was very fit and I actually got made fun of for being so fit. People said I looked like a boy and I look back at pictures and in no way did I 
quote unquote look like a boy. I was just very, yeah, (laughs) I was, but it really did. It hurt my mentality as a kid to the point where I would hide my body. I would wear long sleeves all the time. Um, I was always wearing jeans or just long shorts or baggy shirts. And to the point where people are like, if I wore a tank top, oh, wow, you're actually really skinny. And I'm like, uh, yes, which, which one is it? Am I fit? Am I skinny? What, like, what am I? Um, so I was very confused for a long time because on the track, no one said anything about my weight. But when I was with my friends from school, then I looked like a boy or I was too big. I was told that my muscles were too big. That it looked like I could beat somebody up. So I was very confused growing up. And it wasn't until I got into pageants, I remember the moment I walked out on stage in a yellow swimsuit and Beyonce was playing. And all of a sudden, I was like completely over it. I saw the video clip and went, this is amazing. I'm walking down this runway to Beyonce right now. I am Sasha Fierce. And I have muscle and I'm proud of it. So I've always told girls, if you have muscle, do not be afraid to show it. Do not be upset with the fact that you have muscle. That makes you, you. And you should never feel like you have to change the way that you look or uh, to fit somebody else's opinion or liking, because that's not you. I'm muscular, I have tattoos, and I'm proud of that. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about your background. You mentioned both of your parents were high-level athletes. You know, we're talking Olympic level. And one of your goals, as you mentioned at the beginning, was to be in the Olympics. So um, I I guess let's do this. Number one, let's talk about uh, being a heptathlete. Now, a lot of people out there have heard the word heptathlon, but they just think, oh, that's one of those Olympics – you know, sports. I don't know what it is exactly. What is a heptathlon? So the heptathlete is what you call your multi-athlete. So you have the pentathlon, the decathlon. It's where you do seven events. So for me, I did the hept. That is seven. And it would start with 100 meter hurdles. You have 30 minutes and you go into high jump, 30 minutes, then you go to shot put, 30 minutes, then you go into the 200 meter run. And then you have long jump, 30 minutes later, you do javelin, 30 minutes later, you end with the 800 meter run. And it is the ultimate athlete. That is usually what they're called. It's where you can do just about anything. And you basically have a completely separate practice and track meet compared to all the other athletes because a typical track athlete can do anywhere from maybe one to three events because it's exhausting on your body. But an ultimate athlete or a multi-athlete will do seven. So you are at this prime example of what an athlete can be, I guess you could say. And when you are finishing, others are probably just starting. And it, it, it's a tiring process, but it, I had no idea that I would have been able to do it, but I'm, I'm glad that I did. It changed my mentality on a lot of things. So tell me about the journey to, um, you know, want to be in the Olympics, you know, how it went and, and I guess where it ended. So I had been running track since I was seven years old. Both of my parents ran track. I didn't have a relationship with my dad, but I knew he ran track. And that was just something that I felt like I could connect with him with was the fact that we were both athletes. And my mother, of course, was my track coach growing up. I had uh, summer track teams, went all the way through high school. I ended up getting a little injured, but Oklahoma State and this one other school sought me out. And I decided to go with Oklahoma State because they were Division One, whereas the other was NAIA. And basically what happened was that I started as a 200, 400, 800 runner. And then we were joking around at practice one day and I jumped over a hurdle and my coach saw me jump over the hurdle. And he said, oh, hold on, you can jump over a hurdle? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, cool. You're running at OU this weekend in the 400 meter hurdles. I went, oh my gosh. Oh, what? And I ended up getting second overall. 
and getting an all-time record at Oklahoma State. And that's where the journey kind of started to the heptathlon. And then the next thing I know, I'm competing two or three weeks later, and uh, I make it all the way to the Big 12s in the heptathlon. And then I uh, make it all the way up into the top 10, um, top nine, actually. So I placed top nine in the Big 12s, but because I only knew how to do about four of the events, because I learned how to do the heptathlon in about two and a half months, they thought, wow, okay, within two and a half months of learning how to do the heptathlon, you just placed in the top nine in the Big 12 championship. You need to continue because you have the chance of doing really well. This is what you should have been doing all along. And unfortunately, the wear and tear from running track since I was seven took over basically my entire right side. So I was competing in tons of pain. Even with Chesley, if you hear her story, she had to drop out too because it is a lot of wear and tear on your body. And that's why my track career ended and kind of why pageants were able to happen for me. And it was because my injuries just literally took over. I reached an age where my body literally said, you can keep going, but you're not going to perform at this peak condition anymore. You're going to be kind of struggling through it. And I had to go ahead and make a decision. And it hurt really bad because in your head, you feel like you can keep going, but your body's literally saying, no, we can't take it anymore. And things had started happening on my left side. My tibia even broke because it had so much pressure. And I was constantly in a boot walking around unless I was on the track. So I had to say, okay, my time's up. I graduated. I did my last track meet with the boot on, basically. And that's how it ended. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I kind of had that same experience in volleyball. I played for 16 years and at 32 years mm-hmm. old, I was, I remember I was there, I played in a match and I was like, I just can't keep up with the young guys anymore. I can't, I can't right. jump out of the gym like I used to. I can't swing like I used to. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's a hard transition because it's like, it's, it's the reality that, that, you know, your body does age and you eventually will yeah. start breaking down a little bit. Yeah. And it was really sad. I remember the day I walked into the front room and I said, okay, guys, I need to tell you guys something. Cause we're a track family. And I had told them I was coaching. I had started coaching for um, USA track and field and was meeting up with coaches to try to get trained for the heptathlon. And then my body was aching within a week. It was just hurting so badly. And I walked to the front room and I said, you guys, I think I'm done. And it was just quiet. <laughs> Everyone was just kind of like, oh, man. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was their dream, too. Yes, it was. It really was. So they knew it. It was, it was nice to have the support from people who had gone through it before. Well, um, as you spent time at Oklahoma State, your degree was in human development and family sciences with a focus in psychology, a minor in sociology. That's a hell of a lot of stuff you're studying there. <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. were you, uh, I guess, what was your goal? Like, what did you want to be? Because, I mean, there's a lot lot packaged into that degree there. Yeah, um, I actually went into college pre-med, and then all of a sudden I was squeamish, so I couldn't do it anymore. And then I went in for sports media and unfortunately track and the media classes didn't really mix well. So I had to stop doing that. And then I thought, okay, well, another thing I love is the human mind and social groups and why people do the things that they do. And so I went into human development and family sciences, but it's so broad that you can literally choose your focus. And I went, well, I definitely want to do psychology. So I went into criminal studies. I went into anything basically that you could think about of why people do the things that they do. And on top of that, sociology is applied within it. So I actually got my minor in sociology because I was taking so many of these courses that I actually fell in love with over time. And I chose those. De- I chose that degree because I grew up in a household with a single parent. And family studies was something that I really wanted to focus on because I wanted to know why certain families deal with things that, say, my family went with, 
went through. Why do people choose to leave their children? Why do people choose to do the things that they do? Why do social groups act this way? And it ended up being something I fell in love with. I had no desire to really like get a master's with it or anything because I knew that um, I wanted to either be in the Olympics or I wanted to do more of like movies and acting and whatnot. But I thought that it would have been something very interesting to take while I was in college. Well, it sounds like that you, you've had your challenges in your life that kind of led you to feel that way. I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, growing up with mm-hmm. muscle and just kind of being treated differently because you, you didn't look like the typical female. Um, you, you mentioned right. you grew up in a single parent household. And then, uh, you know, as, as anybody who watched Miss USA saw, I mean, you're, uh, you're multicultural. I mean, you, you come from a couple of yeah. different backgrounds. So I, I guess talk a little bit about that and how it's factored into what you're doing now, because, you know, we, we mentioned Bridge the Divide at the beginning. And, and I know you've talked mm-hmm. about it at Miss USA, but I, I just kind of love how, to know how that all came together and how you decided that I'm going to take these things and turn them into a platform. So growing up, I wouldn't say it was very easy for me. Uh, A lot of people don't know that unless they've been to the events that I speak at. I grew up, yes, in a single parent household, but I also grew up in a household that was abusive. So I remember being in second grade, having to call the police about something that was going on and having to go to school like nothing had happened. And unfortunately, I was going through these things at home and then would go to school and get bullied by these kids who would call me an Oreo. And at the time, like I was just kind of confused as to why people would talk to me like that. It wasn't funny. They would laugh and I didn't find it funny. And I had no one really to connect to because not only was I going through things at school, but the moment I'd leave school, I'd go home and be dealing with uh, someone who was abusive in the household and had nowhere to escape. And then I got involved in track and even going to track, I was told that I was like the wannabe white girl because I had long hair and I didn't talk like them or I didn't look like them. And it was the same things I was hearing at school. So I was going through so many troubling times as a kid that when it came down to me being older, I really had, I had to grow up rather quickly. But when I felt like I actually had a voice to share it with others, I decided that I wanted to be for others what I didn't have. Growing up was so incredibly hard. I had no one to connect to. My father's not around. I had my mother, of course, but I mean, even she hadn't faced some of the things that I was facing growing up. And I literally had no one to connect to, no friends, no one on the track team. People were mad at me because I beat them in track. I was like one of the three black girls at my school. So even on top of that, I had no one to really connect to there. And I was very alone growing up and it hurt me so much. I just longed for friends. I longed for people that I could connect to. That it wasn't until that I um, went to college where I felt that I wasn't necessarily judged as much as I was when growing up. And when I got into the Miss Oklahoma State University pageant, I would speak on topics and people would ask me questions. And it wasn't until I was Miss Oklahoma that someone asked me a question about where the Bridge to the Divide came from. And it was came from the time that there's this little boy in the cathedral at my school and he said so why do you have hair like that you're not supposed to have hair like that and I go what do you mean and he goes you're black you're not supposed to have white girl hair and I was just literally so confused and all of those moments that were just like that I won't say everything that's happened in my life but moments like that add up over time and I had just won this Oklahoma State University and this guy yells for me to go back to my country. And I remember in that moment feeling like that little girl in the cathedral was getting judged because of her hair alone. 
and I said, okay, I'm, I'm tired. I'm so tired of this because I do not want to be to people what they have been to me over time. And Bridge the Divide is all about nurturing cultural compassion and understanding that just because we're different doesn't mean we have to dislike each other. Just because we have differing opinions doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. It just gives us an opportunity to have a conversation and to learn more from one another. It's been a journey. And that is why I took that to Miss USA, because it's not just an Oklahoma thing. It's not just a nationwide thing. It's a worldwide topic that we really need to be discussing. And unfortunately, we see this division almost every single day. You can watch the news. It's a 24-hour news cycle division that's happening. And I thought that that would be um, extremely beneficial because it does not matter if you're black, white, red, polka dot, green. Everyone at some point has been belittled or demeaned. because of, based off of how they look or talk or sexual orientation, it doesn't matter. Everyone has gone through it. Well, your, your background is you're part African-American, you're part Chickasaw. Is that right? Or, or do you have more? Yes. Um, I, I am affiliated with the Chickasaw Nation, but I have about four or five other tribes that we know for a fact. But you affiliate with one tribe. And so we have the most information with the Chickasaw Nation. Okay, so I have a curious question. It may not be the most politically correct question in the world, but I'm, I'm <laughs> just I would love to ask you. When you have a yeah. multicultural background, how do you choose what you identify with? So let's say that you have a, a white mm-hmm. dad and a black mom. How do you choose what you call yourself? Oh, that has taken years to work on. And I think anybody who is multiracial will be able to connect with this. Um, you don't, you go through this phase where you don't know. I remember growing up being like, okay, yes, I'm black. But what about the fact that I'm Polish and Scottish and Irish and German. Like, what about that? And, well, no, I'm native too. I can't just like not accept my native half. Um, and I would take standardized tests. And like that day I joke now, but I would, I take standardized tests and be like, eh, today I'm feeling a little black today. And then the next <laughs> week I might take one and be like, oh, I feel a little native today. So I'm going to go ahead and do that one. Um, or I don't know. So other, if I had the option. So it's been this, it's been this growth where you don't know. You accept what people just accept you as, and then you go, no, but I am all of this. So if anything, now I do say I'm multiracial. And well, if I, people want to know, I'll, I'll tell them. Yeah, well, I ask it because I think there are a few girls out there today who uh, have a background, you know, maybe similar to yours, where they have, a, you know, parents of different races. And um, some of them have chosen to call themselves black because the black girl magic uh, hashtag is hot. And, you know, it's kind of the narrative right now. And so they decide, I I think I'm going to be black this year. And I I don't say that this is not a racist conversation. It's just I I find it fascinating and interesting. And I I just honestly had a a genuine question where I'm just like, how do you how do you choose? So I I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And I I just really think it's it's whoever you feel the most confident as. For me, I feel confident saying, yes, I am black. I'm Native American and I'm Caucasian and I'm a whole bunch of other things. If you guys want to know, like I have no problem. Like, like I could, I'm Portuguese. I'm all these different things. Like, yes, I am. Yes, I am a melting pot. We have an amazing group of people at family reunions. It's really fun. Um, But yeah, and I have no problem with myself going, Oh, black girl magic or um, celebrating Native American heritage month. Or, you know, even if it is like, something involved with Irish or Polish or Scottish. I have no problem speaking on those things because I am that. I am Scottish. I'm Irish. I'm Polish. I'm Portuguese. I'm African-American. I'm native. I'm You're global. <laughs> Greek. I'm, <laughs> yeah. And it's just the, the important part of it all is just being proud of who you are. 
that is the most important thing out of it all. And it really shouldn't come down to having to specify what you are and what you're not. Sure. But as long as you are proud of yourself, proud of who you are, where you've come from, then that is all that matters, really. Well, let's talk about Bridge the Divide because it obviously kind of revolves around mm-hmm. that, that whole conversation that we just had. Um, you drove over 120,000 miles. That's in like I yeah. it would take me seven, <laughs> eight years to do that kind of mileage on a car. No joke. And I, I that's incredible through, that you yeah, did it. Yeah, I went through two cars. Unbelievable. So talk, tell me what you talk <laughs> about when you go talk to kids, when you talk to audiences, because I imagine it's not just schools that you talk to. Right. So I've done things like with the American Heart Association. I've uh, gone to schools, universities, even major corporations that want to speak on diversity and programs and the importance of why we should involve diversity in our programs. But really, when it comes down to it, it's Um, whatever the school or the event wants to talk about, if they want to discuss why it is important to celebrate other cultures, then I will discuss that with them. And we'll discuss like, okay, what are the problems that you've been facing? Why do you want to focus on this? It is something that you should be discussing, but what do you want to get out of my own experience? But um, it varies and it it can be anything from British divide is it's a multitude of things. It can be race or it can be just culture because it, it could be leadership. I mean, it can be all different types of topics, really. But I have found that diversity and celebrating it, especially within this past year or so, um, is something that people really want to talk about because they're struggling with people saying, feeling like they can say whatever they want in the midst of anger to, say, their colleague or whoever's around um, or they, they can feel some type of um, division forming even within schools. Like I've been confronted in schools by students and by their beliefs and things like that and having to share that, you know, I don't dislike you because you are leaning towards this direction, but that doesn't give you any right to dislike me because I'm leaning in this direction. We should be able to have our differences and still be able to respect one another and really bridge the divide comes down to just knowing how to respect each other like the golden rule Um, as somebody who's out there talking about this stuff and literally having these you know in some cases confrontations with people who you know want to voice their opinion or whatnot you had mentioned earlier that when you trained for miss oklahoma america you were watching four hours of news a day so you well know what the media narrative looks like on television every day no matter what you're watching and i think You know, you tell me, but I think society has learned to mirror how the media behaves. And so if you Mm -hmm. don't like somebody's opinion on something or you don't like, you know, what race you are or what gender you decide you want to be or what sexual orientation you decide you want to be, social media has allowed you to just say F you. And then it's also I can scream at you and it doesn't matter because it's on the news. They do it, too. So why the hell can't I do it? Do you feel like that's kind of how exactly. it is when you're out there? Oh, yes, absolutely. Like I said, um, Bridge the Divide was uh, developed after somebody confronted me telling me to go back to my country. And I was confused because I had no idea where he thought I was from. I'm like, where do you <laughs> think I'm from? You're like, all right. Um, and you just stay there. I was like, okay, and I'll stand right here. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it, it is, yes. Like, I, my little brother tells me things that he faces at school. If I see stuff. Um, even just walking through malls or seeing how people talk to each other just because they just feel a certain type of way that day and they just suspect that they believe one thing. I've had people say stuff to me just based off of how I look and presuming that I would agree with them. And I'm like, okay, um, you should never even force your opinion on somebody either. But no, that is something that is happening more and more. And it is so frightening 
but yet so sad at the same time, because that's not how we should be towards each other. I'm thankful that the guy did it because I was able to pray for him, because to have that much hate on your heart must be really hard to live on a daily. Mm -hmm. But I was able to not only pray for him, but it gave me a direction to go, you know what? Something's happening around us, and it's my time to use my voice and help others so that they don't face this and react back to him in the way that he spoke to them. Because if I had reacted to him the way that he was towards me, then I wouldn't have solved anything. But for me to have no reaction towards him at all and just go, you know what? I feel really bad for you. I'm going to pray for you. Was something that probably made him go, wait, what? I know. it's kind of It can be yeah. shocking to people. It can be shocking because I'm, I have no anger towards those who feel like they can act that way. If anything, I'm just like, you know what? This is my time to go. It's time for me, myself, to go try to change people one by one to have a more caring and loving heart, really, towards each other. It's so cliche, are, but it's true. No, it's <laughs> not. I mean, it's 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 normal these days. Let's just be honest. It's not, you know, we can call it cliche, whatever. It is. It's it's normal, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. So is this something that you're going to continue to do with your career? Because, you know, obviously pageants are, are kind of winded down for you now. And so you've got, you know, the yeah. degree and you've got, you know, Bridge the Divide. Is this going to be your career? Or do you have some other aspirations in mind? Well, I have other aspirations that I want to be able to tie it all in together. But as of right now, for sure, well, for the past two and a half years or so, I've been really traveling and speaking on these topics because when it happened to me, I knew that I'm not going to be the only one that's going to be dealing with this. And I have really a passion for impacting people's lives in a positive way. Ever since I was a kid, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be for others what I did not have. And it's true. Um, I've seen how I can impact people just by listening to them and hearing their side or hearing their story. I want to be able to continue to do that. So Bridge the Divide is something that has taken me not only across Oklahoma, but it's now starting to expand across the nation. And I'm in the works of writing a book and getting it published. Um, I'm in Dallas even right now working towards expanding it. And it's because it's something that's happening all around us. And if it was bad for me growing up, and it was so bad that when it happened to me when I was 24 years old and it triggered me and took me all the way back to as a kid, and I saw how much that hurt me, I, I knew that for a fact that I could help others who are going through the same thing. And it's not something that I can just sit around and just let happen. It's something in me that makes me just want to keep attacking it. You know, just, you know, this is, this is happening and I want to fix it. One person... If it's a crowd of people and I only connect with one person, that's one person more than I did the day before or if and I hadn't done it. And will you remain in Oklahoma? I know a lot of the girls tend to, you know, after winning a state title, they tend to, to move. Um, are, are you are you staying? No, I'm actually thinking about leaving Oklahoma. Um, we'll see when that happens. So I have built this base in Oklahoma, but I always have my heart in Oklahoma for sure. If things keep me there, then I will. But as far as other aspirations go and expanding bridge the divide. Like I said, it's not just an Oklahoma thing. It's a nationwide thing. It's a worldwide topic. I want to take that outside of Oklahoma as well, but I will always be going back and forth from Oklahoma to wherever I'm at next. But yeah, I'll probably at some point leave Oklahoma, which is so sad to me because I love my state. But um, I know that if I want to reach more people, then I will have to leave. Okay. Understood. Understood. Well, uh, how about we take a look at the softer side of Triana Brown with the rapid fire get yeah. to know you 10 questions. You ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. These are pretty simple, so uh, we can do speed round, whatever you want. But here we go. Number one, would you rather climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Climb a mountain. I'm terrified of heights <laughs> and jumping out of things. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. 
Number two, if you were really, really hungry, would you eat a bug? Probably. Are <laughs> 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 you really hungry? Real, like I mean, really, like starving, like, like literally on your deathbed of starving. Oh, yes. Give me all the bugs. Okay. <laughs> Number three, how long can you hold your breath for? Oh, I'm terrible. No, probably about 10 seconds. I don't know why, but <laughs> I don't even swim, really. It's funny. I, I'm really bad. <laughs> uh, number four, when people stand up for a standing ovation, are usually one of the earlier people or one of the later to stand up? Oh, well, I mean, if I'm really feeling it, I'm probably one of the first. <laughs> like, if I'm really, really feeling it. Like, if you know it. somebody. But if I'm like, oh, yeah, I know someone. I'm, oh, oh, yeah, I'm proud of them. Stand up. But if I'm just kind of like, oh, this is a great topic, I'm one of those slow stander-uppers. Okay. <laughs> uh, I always find this is an interesting question for a state title holder. Would you go to a movie alone? I do that all the time. You do? All of the Yes. I, I think I did that last, yeah, I did that last week. I go maybe twice, once or twice a week by myself. That shows confidence. I like it. Number six, scale of one to ten. How good are you at trivia? Ooh, maybe like a, depending on the day, maybe like six or seven. Six or seven? Bad. Okay. Number seven, uh, totally off the wall question. Have you ever slapped somebody in the face? No, I don't. Mm, I don't think I have. <laughs> like, let me think for a second. I had to think about that. I don't think I have. Maybe on accident, I may have. So you're a nice person. I okay, react. Like, yeah. Well, if somebody scares me, I don't know what's going to happen. I've accidentally punched somebody out of sleep before, so I may have slapped somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Uh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate chip cookie dough. Ooh, that's good. Number nine. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. Do you snore? Oh, mm, probably. I wouldn't <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> I'm a hard flipper. Okay. Uh, number 10. Choose between these two. Invisibility or super strength. Which would you rather have? Invisibility. I Lately, I've really have been aspiring to like sneak up on people and prank them and stuff like that <laughs> and I don't know I just find that way more fun just maybe sometimes if you just want to like go get a snack late at night without getting judged invisibility right there invisibility and you can go to the movies too <laughs> and go to the movies perfect alright you're off the hook nice job thank you but hey, great conversation today. I really, really enjoyed just, you know, a lot of the topics that we got to talk about in addition to kind of, you know, hearing the difference between USA and America at this point and competing in the nationals. And then, you know, of course, you know, your cultural yeah. background and all that conversation. So thanks so much for being willing to share all that. Absolutely. It's an honor. I love being able to talk about all of that. Yeah. Well, I, I want you to keep in touch with me. I'm certainly uh, excited for your future. And it sounds like uh, things are going really well. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited for the future. I really am. And thank you for having me on. It was a huge honor. I listen to your stuff all the time. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Triana Brown for her time. Now, if you want to follow her on social media, you can check her out on both. You can check her out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Triana Brown. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, and YouTube, or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram, at Tim Tialdo. 
Until next time, remember the words of Psalms 119, verses 33 and 34. Teach me your decrees, Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Talk to you next week, everybody.